Hello and welcome to the 63rd episode of 10 Questions where I talk to Sean Grant, the multi-actor award-winning screenwriter of Nitram, which is in cinemas now. Sean's debut film, Snowtown, about the infamous Snowtown murders in South Australia in the 1990s, won multiple awards and screened at Critics Week at the 2011 Cannes Film Festival. And that's where Sean's career took off, writing the feature films Jasper Jones, Berlin Syndrome, Penguin Bloom, The True History of the Kelly Gang, and Nitram. He also wrote for David Finch's Mindhunter on Netflix, and one of my favourite Australian miniseries, Deadline Gallipoli. He's possibly Australia's most in-demand screenwriter, known for his willingness to tackle the weighty emotional subjects that others might see as too dangerous or too difficult to make. Nitram premiered at Cannes a few months ago, where the response to the film was unanimously positive, and that's where my conversation with Sean started. When I asked him when he was most happy, he said now. And he wasn't just referring to his professional success, which he credits as being partly due to his continuing working relationship with the director, Justin Cazell, but also the fact that he'd recently got married. But back to the interview and those moments of peak happiness. I, I clearly remember a moment where I felt joy like I'd never felt before. Like I remember a surge of electricity through my body. Uh, uh, it's a little bit of a story, so bear with me. But um, and it takes me back to my happiest sort of moment in time. And it starts not that happy in that it was like 2008. <laughs> and as soon as I say the date, you'll probably know mm. uh, where it's going in terms of uh, what happened. But it was the grand final day, and Hawthorne, my beloved team, were playing Geelong. Mm. And I started the day. My, my, my first wife and I were having some issues. Something was feeling strange. And I started my day that morning by sneaking out of bed and doing what all wary spouses do and went through her phone. And on her phone, I learnt that she was having an affair on the morning of the AFL grand final. And I had to drive to uh, my old country town. Uh, every year I would gather with my oldest of friends and I pulled up there, sort of, I don't know, shed a few tears, I guess, out the front of my oldest mate's house, went in, didn't tell them anything, kept it all to myself, just, just like get through the day, get through the day. And Hawthorne were absolute underdogs. Like I think Geelong had lost once or something. And anyway, there was a moment sort of in the second half where Buddy Franklin handballs to Stewie Jew and he slots one from the boundary and I knew we had won. And I felt a rush like I'd never felt before. And I think I just needed it on that day. And I still say, you know, Muhammad, Jehovah, God, whoever gave me that because I needed it that day more than anyone else. And, uh, and I just remember feeling this electric bolt of happiness for that split second that, um, yeah, I'd, I'd never felt before. So that was kind of, yeah. One and did that sustain you through obviously the the coming months of no not really no no it got me through the day and then i went to feeling like you know i went through a really tough period after that that was around about the time i was writing snowtown so uh it was pretty bleak pretty bleak time i i feel that sometimes you know it could be a guardian guardian angel or whatever it looks at your life and goes right sean you need a clean out it's not going to be pleasant but this is the clean out and look what's happened, you know, from that moment on, you from 2008, you can actually pinpoint when uh, things started yeah. going right for you and where you are right now. 
oh, absolutely things happen for a reason. And and like I find the world clean clean out bad because I have absolutely no ill will for my ex-wife. Um, I think it was the right thing for her as well. And I think it probably happened. We were together for, you know, we were childhood sweethearts. So we, we'd been together for nearly a decade. And um, I think that that moment in time happened at that point in time, probably because one, maybe Hawthorne were going to win the flag and that was going to get me through those few days. Yeah. But I'd also had Snowtown and it, and it became my whole focus. Like I was segueing from a career as a school teacher to a screenwriter. And I think if I didn't have that film at that time, you know, I don't know that I'd be chatting to you. Like, like it was just, right. it was the right time for us both to go our separate ways. She was starting a new career and so was I. So, yeah, I didn't mean it in a pejorative way. I just no. meant like, you know, just you, not clean is the wrong word, but it's just a reset. Um, yes, reset. Uh, question two is who would you like to apologize to and why? Not too many, not too many. People, I don't think that the listeners, if it's a bit boring, to be honest. Not at all, mate. No, that was a good um, answer. I, I, uh, I think, um, <laughs> no, I'd like to think I treat people as I'd like to be treated and, and therefore haven't put too many noses out of joint. If I had to pick one person, I'd dare say I'll say um, my, my wife, Annabelle, to be honest, because I think, you know, I think the people that you spend the most time with, that you're closest with, you actually, while you, you know, they get the best and the worst of you. So if if I've ever got to apologise, which is probably once a day, to be honest, about something I've done in the house, it would be to her. And uh, and I think also writers are like really overly critical people. You know, we spend our whole days just trying to, you know, analyse things. And I, and I can be critical and pessimistic is definitely a word that comes to mind. And, and I do it to myself. I'm really hard on myself. Um, which you have to be because, you know, you're self-employed and you, you forced make your own deadlines and stuff. And that can kind of bleed into, you know, because I just see, you know, my, Annabelle's like an extension of me, you know, and, and, yeah, I guess sometimes that can fall onto her. So if I've got to probably apologise to anyone, I'd say it's probably my life. You know, it's because you obviously write stuff that's that's quite dark. So when you leave your office, how do you actually change your mindset uh yeah i mean anyone that knows me and as you do knows i'm a pretty you know strangely happy go lucky god meet me meet me and expecting me to be dressed all in black only and always um but oh yeah look i you know it depends what what you're writing and when i find first drafts really the most difficult part when it's just me Mm. uh, and i get really lost in it and i can be probably pretty miserable once, once there's a director or producer or whatever and, and you bounce and draft back and forth, it becomes a film, you know, it becomes mm-hmm. a job. But when it's just a blank page, I'm literally walking around this office saying the lines and doing the actions and looking stupid. And, um, yeah, and then I come out and, you know, Annabelle kind of knows I'll probably be in a bit of a zombified state for, you know, an hour and by the time we've had dinner or a watch the news or something i'm back to normal <laughs> it's good it's good to know your, your fans want to know these things mate <laughs> <laughs> all two of them <laughs> what is your greatest regret <sighs> hmm. um i don't know i don't i don't think i have any regrets i think it goes back to what we were saying before i think things happen for a reason good and the bad all of them add up to where i am now and like i said before i'm I'm in a really good place. So um, I think that's all that 
kind of matters. And I don't think I've hurt anyone too badly, or if I have, I'm certainly apologetic for that. But uh, no, no real regrets. I know as a writer, you know, you might regret taking a job or you might regret not taking a job. But at the end of the day, that's all, you know, pretty forgettable. The big picture stuff is I'm here, I'm healthy, healthy and happy and um yeah, so if, if that's the case, then yeah, I've got no regrets. Is there is there any writing regrets though? Have you, has have you been forced into doing something or writing something that you've gone? Uh, oh, you're no, a pretty strong will though. Been, yeah, mate. I'll, yeah, you know me. I say no to a lot of stuff, and 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 pretty comfortable to do that. And um, where does that come know, from, mate? I mean, you're you're a school teacher um, who then went into the film industry. And you mm. went in there with the confidence to say no, um, to tell people when they were wrong. Uh, all these things, mm. a lot of people go, okay, well, you know, mm. it might take me a while it's, to actually yeah. get, get there to do that, you know. It's not out of an arrogance. To be honest, it's, it's just due to the fact I'm a terrible liar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just have one, one filter and it's just blatant honesty. Yeah. And, uh, and, and if I fake it, you know, I can't fake relationships. I can't, you know, fake laughter. I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm just no good at it. And anyone that's seen me in my very few cameos that I do on film <laughs> will know I'm a terrible actor. So not true, um, that, that is not that, true. That's, that's pretty much where it comes from. Um, yeah, it, 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 I just kind of do. So no, I haven't. I haven't. Look, I, I remember early on in my career, I took you know a couple of TV gigs to go. Oh, I wonder what it's like to try to do you know like a procedural or law thing or something like that and you know and I figured and I found out that I wasn't very good at it and I haven't done it again but um I don't regret that because at the time it was the right thing to do you you've definitely got a good sense of who you are um and you you know ever since I've known you you always have and I think that's a really you know important way to go into the film industry is to know who you are and what you what your tastes Mm. are well, I think I was a little bit older too, you know. I'd already had a career as a teacher, as you said, and I think that helps a bit. I wasn't, you know, I still say teaching is the most important career in the world. Mm. You know, maybe doctors and nurses at the moment might, might take that. But uh, so I came from that So I and I considered it so important that when I came into this, it was like, well, unless I'm doing something really, really important and, and work that I think is kind of special in some way, then I can always go back and do the most important job in the world. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. That's good to know. A lot of us don't have fallbacks. Yeah, yeah. It, it, look, it helps. Um, it definitely helps. My mother, when I said I wanted to be a filmmaker, she said, don't be stupid. There's no money in that. Get a sensible job. So I did. And at the, yeah, at the time I may have questioned her, but I'm kind of grateful in a way because it's allowed me to, yeah, have that safety net and say no to things and not be forced to take jobs that I didn't kind of want. What will you still need to do to feel you've lived a satisfactory life? I feel it's pretty satisfactory if I can keep doing what I'm doing retire at a grand old age in my 60s having you know continuously worked on projects that I was really passionate about I'd be happy um personally there's probably you know one thing comes to mind you know I, I reckon I was 12 years old when I knew I wanted to make movies and at the same time I knew I wanted to be a dad that was the only thing those two things I knew I've done one and I haven't done the other so I think, you know, if, if one day I could be a father, that would probably, um, probably sum up my life and I could die a happy man. Beautiful. Uh, who is the person who most influenced you and how? Well, I think influence comes 
typically fairly early on in your life. So I guess I'll state the obvious and say my parents. Um, I was raised by a single mum, spent a hell of a lot of time with her. I probably got a lot of her traits, good and bad. And then I think um, my father's absence probably influenced me just as much as her being there in a way. You know, that, that want to be a father is probably stems from that. Uh, my dad was a really ambitious guy. Uh, there's a line in Snowtown where it's he's got big ideas at John and that was kind of, you know, aimed at my father. He liked to travel and, and, the, the, and the ambition in work. I guess I have some of those traits as well. And then, um, yeah, there was a, my grandmother, uh, Vera, um, sadly, like my father's not with us anymore, but growing up, she was like one of my best mates and, and she had a wicked sense of humour, which hopefully I've inherited somewhat despite writing typically serious stuff. Um, I'm usually up for a laugh and, uh, yeah, so hopefully I, she influenced me a bit too. Did your dad move away from the town that you grew up in? When your parents split up? Yeah, dad, uh, dad decided to have an affair and run off with the uh, waitress of our pub. Where we were, I was raised in a pub. He was a publican. And, um, but, but, you know, he, we still saw him. Well, I saw him every, you know, weekend or second weekend or whenever I could, really. Um, so he was around, but he was a really interesting character. And, yeah, sadly, never got to see um, any of my work. He, he only knew me as a school teacher. He, he took his life before... Uh, just before I started writing Snowtown. Wow, wow! So that that you weren't twenty nine by around that that chat. You know that you know when they call it Saturn Returns when all your, your oh whole yeah yeah twenty seven yeah I would have written Snowtown. It's twenty seven. I know he passed when I was like twenty four or oh, something. And if okay. you watch Snowtown, you know it's about a boy trying to find a dad. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's the film, and and. My father and I were getting closer the older we were getting oh, okay. before he passed. We were kind of trying to, you know, come back together. And um, sadly, he, yeah, he, he decided to do what he did. So, yeah, off the back of that, you know, it's not surprising that I found this Snowtown story and this story of Jamie in particular who was kind of, you know, looking for someone to guide him and sadly found Australia's worst serial killer. Did you know you were kind of... Uh, drilling down into that relationship with your father when you're writing Snowtown, or was it something you, you saw in retrospect? Oh no, I, I knew it. You I knew. knew it. It. I mean, that was what was interesting to me. Gotcha. I didn't. I'm not a true crime guy. Funny enough, I don't read it. I don't listen to podcasts. Um, up until that bloody film, I'd, I'd never read a true crime book. I don't think. My brother's obsessed with him, and I happened to find it on his bookshelf one night. Oh, wow. While, while I was babysitting and, and that changed my life. But, um, no, it was, it was not the murders that I was interested in. It was the relationship and, in particular, that boy and that father figure type relationship. So, no, I knew it. And, actually, if you look at the three films I've done with Justin Cazell, you know, True History of the Kelly Gang, Snowtown and now Nit Ram, parenting is a massive aspect of all those films and, and people trying to find you know, a, a father figure or a mother figure or whatever it may be. So, with yeah. Nitram, so the so it's it's a similar thing. You're actually not interested in the, almost in the crime. You're interested in the relationships, but the crime is the backdrop. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally the backdrop. I mean, you if for, for people that see Nitram, 
um, in, in the cinemas, you'll see that there is, you know, the violence isn't on the screen. It's it's not that which interests me, um, but uh, but kind of what leads to it and what leads to it in any way is relationships or fractured relationships mm. or lack of relationships or whatever it may be. So that's, yeah, that's what interests me um, more than anything else. If, if it was violence I was interested in, I'd write, John Wick or something, you know, like where it's on screen all the time. It's, I think at one stage I was going to study psychology and and be a psychologist, but instead I decided to write. Um, I actually just been writing about this in the early 2000s, late nineties, early two thousands, there was big money around for writing magazine profiles. And the people who got the big money were the ones who almost did a kind of a psychological assessment on the celebrity. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, so you you just kind of cast yourself as this amateur psychologist, and suddenly, you know, and if you could kind of fudge it enough, you'd make a lot of money, you know. Oh, <laughs> so I understand it. I think all writers are frustrated psychologists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's my pet hate. Give me a good Q and A when I pick up a magazine or a newspaper. I hate when the journos decide this is my chance to shine oh, no. and paint this portrait. I was like interview who I want to, just give me verbatim what they're saying and go off and write your novel in your own time. I don't want to read about it. <laughs> that is a Sean Grant statement. For me. <laughs> uh, question six, mate. When was the last time you cried and why? Yeah, look, I'm, pretty, <laughs> I'm from a very um, working class rural family that where crying didn't really exist, to be honest, or if it did, it happened far too late and, uh, so crying doesn't come easy for me. Um, anyone that knows me will attest. Um, I wish it did because I know that a few times that I have, I felt better for it. <laughs> but honestly, um, I just don't know somehow how to do it. Like the, the, the concept that blows my mind is tears of happiness. Never experienced it in my life. I don't understand why you're crying when you're, when you're happy. Even when Stewie Jew kicked that goal, there were no tears. Never understood it. Um, no, it, really, to get me to cry, you know, it's death or breakups. That's that's the only thing. Annabelle and I suffered a, a pretty significant loss earlier this year, and that was probably the last time I cried. But um, yeah, it's, it's it doesn't happen too often. No, did I see you cry at the wedding? I don't think so. You might have had glassy yeah. eyes at some stage. Uh, look, I'll tell you what. You would have. You would have. That's that's not true. I. I do, but again, yeah, I, it's certainly not, it should be from happiness, but I think it was, you know, when I'm talking about people I love, mm-hmm. talking, you know, it gets me to cry. I yeah. think I'm, I've done a few eulogies in my time and I reckon if I didn't have to do the eulogy, I'd get through the funeral without crying. Interesting. But as soon as you try to speak, it's a little bit like laughter as well. You know, when you try not to laugh and you can't help oh, but yeah. laugh. Yeah. I think when I try to speak, I can't, I can't not I can't stop the tears. So, yeah, I probably did shed a few tears on that day. It's interesting, you know, it's like when someone's reading a speech of resignation, suddenly they start crying. I'm sure they didn't cry when they were writing it, but, you know, when they sit down in front of the cameras and they, you know, it's like right. Yeah, or, anything yeah, that's yeah. a big moment in your life. I, I get that. never written a resignation. I've only seen that in the movies. <laughs> well, you prob- well, you've, you, have you written one in the movie, in a movie? No, never written one in a movie. No, no, no. No one resigns in mine. They just die. <laughs> um, what is your current state of mind? It's one of 
and contentment and joy, I guess. Yeah. That's great. Um, yeah, I'm real, you know, obviously like everyone, especially my fellow Victorians, I'd like to be out of my house. Um, and it's been a frustrating time, but I'm very fortunate that I can write and my job hasn't been hampered as much as it has for so many other people in the in the country. So, um, yeah, I'm in a pretty good state of mind, which is nice. What do you consider your greatest achievement? I think um, it's getting where I've, well, where I am, like where I've, what I've achieved and where I am from where I've come from. I've, I'm pretty proud in that. You know, I didn't know anyone in the film industry when I broke into it. I came from a town where filmmakers didn't exist. You know, I kind of haven't been given anything or gifted anything and, you know, I had to work pretty hard for it all. So I'm pretty proud of that. Uh, I think that's probably my greatest achievement. Like um, individual projects that come to mind would be my first film, Snowtown, and my most recent film, Mitram. They were the only two spec scripts I've ever written, would you believe? Wow. For, for those people that don't know, spec scripts kind of when you, um, yeah, you write it without being paid. You know, they were my original ideas. I sat down and wrote them just because I had to tell the story and then I made phone calls and tried to get them made, you know, reached out and found people and somehow I both ended up at Cannes. So I'm really, really blessed. So I'm really, really proud of those achievements. And um, yeah, I need to uh, do a bit more specs. Do a bit more, know. yeah. Well, it's, as you would know, mate, it's very hard to say no to a paying job to do <laughs> your own exactly. non-paying job. So for those 10 years in between the two specs, um, I was gainfully employed and, and it was actually, it was the one Christmas I've ever spent in LA that I had some time to myself to write Nick Ram. But yeah, that, that would be the most, I, I think, sort of project was. Personally, you know, I, I think an achievement for anyone who goes through some, you know, shit, downtime in their life. I don't know if I can swear, but, oh, yeah. um, you know, be it deaths or divorce or whatever it is, picking yourself up, dusting yourself off and getting back on the horse. I'm pretty proud of that, you know. Um, Mate, you had it all right. Your team won grand final. Oh, yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> I mean, what, what, who cares what a day it was. Um, Stewie Jew just came from nowhere to oh, get you mate. across the line. Who knew an angel could look like Stewie Jew? <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think that's... Personally, what I'm kind of proud of, you know, there's a few demons mental health-wise that run through my family and um, to overcome sort of any sorts of depression, I think, from anyone is, is, a, is a remarkable achievement. It shouldn't, you know, sure. achievement shouldn't be listed with, I, I find too many people, particularly living in LA, achievements are all work-wise. You know, mm. everyone talks about that. Mm. And I think, you know, your inner stuff is, you know, if you can deal with that is, is just as important. I'd just like to ask, though, and maybe this kind of ties in a little bit. When did you realize, uh, okay, so a lot of people want to write, but mm -hmm. when did you realize you're a good writer, that you actually had a shot at this? Well, I think the, there was something before, the first thing I ever wrote, and I, I would always write, but like when I was teaching and stuff for myself, and I, that'd all be, you know, bad knockoffs of films that have already been made, probably. I remember there was a thing, SBS put out a call, of a little five, they had to be five-minute scripts. It was called Marks and Venus. I think they got, you know, hundreds and hundreds of 
script sent in to them and they just told you it was two characters in, a, in an apartment, anything can happen. So I wrote a script and sent it in and out of the hundreds, mine got chosen to be filmed and put on SBS. And that was, that was the first time I went, oh, I mustn't be terrible at this. I, I think I was studying at the time, maybe filmmaking. And then, um, and then while I was still studying, you know, the year after that, or I think it was, I um, had started writing Snowtown and I put, put it into Film Victoria and they said they gave me a, a grant to continue writing it out of, you know, I'm sure being inundated with scripts. So, yeah, I've, I've been very fortunate to get some reassurance along the way pretty early and, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know why I'm, I'm good at it, or, but, yeah, it seems to be. And I'm half decent. So with this with Snowtown, so you, you saw the book on your brother's shelf, and then yeah. you went and you're on a school teacher's wage. You then uh, had the, the foresight to get the option for it. Oh, it was the craziest of stories in that I was it was a Friday night. I'm in rural Victoria. I put my two-year-old niece to bed. I want to say this is around 2007. And um yeah, go to turn on the telly to watch the footy or, the, or a movie or whatever it was on, and um, power went out, lightning, thunder, and I lit a candle and scoured my brother's bookshelf because it was too early to go to bed, and my brother, you know, who's just mad for true crime, has just serial killer books all over his bookshelf, and there was nothing else to read. Uh, but there was one, and it was The Snowtown Murders, and it I felt ignorant in that I knew the name and I knew barrels and not much else. Mm-hmm. So I sat there, read that entire book from start to finish by candlelight and said, I have to turn this into a film. And then started, yeah, put down my own money. I would, I would work nine to five. I was going to um, film school nights and I would write Snowtown on weekends. And I knew because I had an option and put down my own money, I had a period of time where I had to get the script done. I think deadlines are really good. Um, yeah, and then I just worked. I watched films that I admired that were Australian. I rang the producers of them. Funny enough, they all took my phone call. They all read my script. Maybe it helped because it was a well-known case. Certainly wasn't because I knew anyone or, or was anyone. Um, they all met me, said they loved it. Three said it was too dark for them to spend the next five years of their life or whatever. And one said, let's do it. And uh, that was uh, produced by the name of Anna McLeish. And then, yes, yeah, th- three years later, we're at Cannes. Unbelievable. And with the, yeah. with the options, so you just literally looked up the publisher, just, just, just so people rang, people know. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah. Rang, it was a journo. He was a journo. Uh, the author. I like the good self. The author, yeah, he was a sports journo in Adelaide, <laughs> Andrew McGarry. And yes. uh, his age, I didn't know what I was doing. I had no, I didn't have an agent. I didn't know. So I had joined the Writers Guild, um, which is a big plug for the Australian Writers Guild, while I was at university or studying. And I rang their free lawyer who helped me out. They got me in touch with his agent, who was this big bougie dude. I think he was like the Alan Jones of wherever, a talk show host, and he was full of bluster and whatnot. Mm. Um, But I just thought, well, yeah, I, I kind of knew that it would help based on a book. You know, for a first-timer, it might help. Great idea. You know, I'm not saying the book was the greatest piece of literature ever written, but the guy had followed the case for three years and, and I knew if I had him on board, I could ring him up with any questions. Yes. 
uh, and I had more money than I did time mm-hmm. at that stage because I was working full time. Yeah, that's it. Look, it's it's really informative for people to know that stuff. It just doesn't, you know, the bolt of lightning might make the lights go off, but you have to you have to do the rest. There's no yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Um, true. Second last question, mate. Who would you like on your side in a battle, and why? Personally, I'll say Annabelle, my wife. Um, we'd die, but we'd, we'd die laughing. <laughs> uh, professionally, I'd say Justin Curzel, my um, uh, co-collaborator. We've done three films now and got a few other things in the works. And, you know, I, I feel like making a film is like going to battle. Mm, oh, for sure. And having gone to battle with him three times now, the fact that our relationship's stronger after each one, um, particularly this most recent one's been the most challenging thing we've ever had to make. Yeah. Um, so I'd, um, yeah, I'd happily stand in a trench with Justin. I just and, listen, um, let's Google Justin Cazell and you will agree that he's the right person to go into a battle with. He, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's a good size lad. And uh, speaking of uh, good size lads with a beard, if it was an actual battle, can I say Robert Dippier to Manico? Oh. <laughs> Or perhaps any of the 1989 Hawthorne grand final team because Dipper played with a punctured lung, Brereton a broken rib, Tucky with his split fingers, just the toughest bunch of men you'd ever like. So I reckon if I I went into battle with them, we'd beat any country, I reckon. They really are. What what an insane group of people. (laughs) Um, I mean that in in the positive way. Um, Yes. (laughs) And lastly, mate, what would you? Oh, by the way, with with Justin, um, I read an article hmm. the other day that uh, he had to kick you off the set on on uh, Snowtown. <laughs> Is that true? He didn't have to. He chose to. <laughs> it was nothing about having to do it. Uh, it was very much true. It's um, yeah, it's funny. Uh, we had a wonderful. I didn't know Justin before I'd written Snowtown, and then uh, myself and the producers Anna and Sarah met with some directors, and I like. Justin's take on it and as did they and we gave him the job and then yeah and we worked on the script together over that time and it was a good relationship and then I turned up to Adelaide and it was the very first scene and it's shot and he comes out and he lights a cigarette and he goes what do you think and I said well apart from this 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 and this it was pretty good (laughs) and he goes yeah this is what I talk about I have no filter and he goes, well, apart from that, there is no scene. And I was like, well, you know, you'll get the next one. <laughs> and uh, and as a as a and I got to say, as a writer, I get that kind of language all the time, as uh, as I'm sure you do. No one cares about writers' feelings. No. The directors, apparently, you, and I was learning. It was my first time on a film set, pretty much. Yeah, I had to learn the hard way that, oh no, come on, you don't you don't mess with their ego and confidence. <laughs> and then I, I get breakfast the next morning and the producers are asking me to leave. What did they say? Uh, are you not, not welcome? They said, yeah, I think you shook Justin a little bit with that one. And, uh, yeah, so I drove around. I had to drive all the way back to Melbourne. And uh, we sorted it out since, I think, it was just bad timing because the, the scenes after that were great, you know, but it was just the first one. And I will stand by the fact, and I still say this to him, that scene is not in the film. Right. First, the first scenes are hard to do. You shouldn't. You should start with a softy. Yeah. Oh no, it wasn't his first scene. It was just my first. Scene. Oh, been okay. Going for a week or two. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, it was just it, it. The scene didn't work for all the reasons I listed, and I'm the fall guy, you know. But anyway, it's I've forgotten. It. I'm not bitter. Don't Everyone worry. needs a villain, mate. 
from now on yeah but since then every day on there on set and and it's all and it's all fine but i yeah we have some classic sort of conversations on set we we, we i think we work well because we're we both kind of minimal ego and and really really honest and i think that's the only way anything good gets done creatively if you are as honest as you can be i think i agree i mean because hearing your working relationship where you know you were in la and he was editing uh ned kelly in melbourne was it mm-hmm. and uh tassie, tassie yeah. and you had the uh the ipad all set up so you could actually see what was going on in the edit suite i mean that is a hugely trusting relationship oh totally oh that's you know i mean i've done six films three with justin three with three other wonderful directors um and it's totally up to them you know you are especially in film television less so but in film you're at the behest of the director and i'm a firm believer that more eyes the better, mm-hmm. you know, two heads are better than one sort of yeah. thing. So I'm especially the person that knows the story better than anyone else, yeah. which I think the writer tends to be. Mm. So, yeah, I, you know, if I was a director, I would 100% want them around and, and in and involved, but that's not always the case. I reckon some writers do uh, wreck it for us. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. If you're the guy that's like, oh, no, you can't say it that way, you missed a word here mm. and all that, then, but anyone that knows me knows I'm not that guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, sure. You know, it's all about the intention of the scene. If that gets across and an actor has ad-libbed a line that's better than yours, then I'm all for it because I always say people are going to think you wrote it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and I still get people quote lines of mine that weren't mine and I'm like, oh, yeah, totally. I'll take it. I will take it. Yeah, um, exactly. Question 10, what would you like your last words to be? Oh, like before death sort of thing. Yeah. Here's me. So it's a bit sombre even for me to end it on that. Um, <laughs> uh, what's the one? You know, if I was a comedy writer like you could self, it would be, uh, what is it? This is it Spike Milligan? I told you I was ill sort yeah, of a thing. Perfect, yeah. Uh, but I'm not a comedy writer, so I won't. Mine will be serious and sentimental. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Look, ha- having had a lot of sudden deaths occur in my family history if i can die really old lying in bed surrounded by loved ones you know um harking back to my earlier question my wife's there my kids and my grandkids maybe even and i'm getting to say thank you i love you Done. I'm done. Send me to the afterlife where I can watch reruns of The Simpsons and Seinfeld. And, <laughs> or comedies. And, and, I'm, and I'm a happy man. Yeah, uh, would you believe? It tends to be what I want. Too- I probably need to take time out from my work. Yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of 90s comedies for me all the way. But I, what I liked, you know, in your episode of Mindhunter uh, is that, you know, you, that kind of wink, that kind of uh, wryness almost came out, albeit through American accents. Um, yeah. And uh, you know that that's the, that's something that I have a problem with with Australian drama that there's no jokes in in it. Whereas American right. drama, you know, you're watching The Sopranos, possibly one of the funniest shows ever. Oh, Deadwood is hysterical. Yeah. One of my all-time favourite dramas, Deadwood. You cannot stop laughing at Elsewhere. So, oh, I totally, I, I couldn't agree more. If you can get that in, I mean, I found it really interesting the Australian premiere of Snowtown, watching it with an audience from Adelaide, from that area, a lot of sort of the crew and cast were from that area. And 
And in, strangely enough, they were laughing in parts of that film, which is a very dark film. But I think they, you know, middle-class Australia weren't comfortable doing it, yeah, yeah. whereas they were from the era and they were laughing, which then gave the rest of the audience room to laugh. Um, my most recent film, Niram, again, couldn't be more sensitive subject matter, but there are moments, strangely enough, of levity where I'm, I'm hearing audience members, particularly over in France, were laughing. And, and I think it adds to the drama if you can do it. Um, I think it's a it's a great you know I always try to get that balance. I thought Russell Crowe's work in Kelly Gang had a huge amount of humour in it. Yeah, um, he's a funny guy. A pretty dark story. Oh yeah, indeed. Um, you know, it just and when you were uh, in in um can so um there was one photo call. You, you know, there were two photo calls. One I think you were wearing a tux, and the other one you were you wearing Hawthorne colours. <laughs> No, I don't yeah, wear yeah. <laughs> It was not. It was no. Yeah, I'm going poo and wee yeah, on the good. photo call of can. No, it was. It was a brown I think shirt. I had like a. It was brownish. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was a tinge of red. I don't know if colours. I'm really. Bad. I thought I'm you like, were doing a secret nod. I thought you. Were no, doing. no, there was no nod. Though it was funny. I'll tell you a funny moment of that photo call. Was watching it back. We're on. We're flying back. We're in um, Tokyo Airport, and and there's a there's like a TV journalist, a French one that's narrating the whole experience and you just kind of it's myself the justin the producer and and caleb andrew jones the lead actor and we and you just kind of and it's very you know even though i've been to a few festivals this thing is very foreign because they only do it for the in competitions and you pose to this huge wall of photographers and whatnot and this journalist commentates it and at one stage she says um she, she starts talking about the true crime of port arthur and what had happened and, and, and then she's listing the people that are on the carpet and they're like, and there is, uh, there is Sean Grant, the perpetrator. And I've got, I've got hang on, I just wrote it. Uh, so, yeah, that's on YouTube. You can see that. Uh, she calls me the perpetrator. I think she meant screenwriter. But. That's interesting. I wonder if there's some sort of translation thing there between perpetrator and, and like, inventor no i think she was just caught up on the i think she'd used the word describing the events of the day and then it was stuck in her head and but anyway it comes off as me being the perpetrator which is a little unfortunate well my well congratulations on it because i know you know i i I, you know i've been doing some shout outs on twitter and i i'm I'm very reluctant to kind of go i know i know i knew what these guys went through you know but but i do know what you went through to get it up, and um, good on you. It's a testament to keeping on punching, as the great Scotty Palmer used to say. <laughs> oh, Scotty's headlines. Yeah, no, <laughs> thank, thanks, mate. I appreciate it, and, um, yeah, hopefully you can get to see it. Yes. And, uh, at some stage when we can leave our homes. Thank you so much for tuning in to 10 Questions. We'd also like to thank all the guests that appear on the show, and if you have a minute please subscribe via iTunes or your podcast app and leave us a rating. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me on Twitter at Adam Zwa. So until next time, thanks for joining us.